Hello and welcome to the Weekend Essay Podcast. I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager. And in this week's Weekend Essay Podcast, we have feature writer Amanda Newman-Smith asking, would compulsion for retirement saving be so bad? Take it away, Amanda. Would compulsion for retirement saving be so bad? My kids have much more choice in their lives than my husband and I did at their age. Dan and I would just eat whatever our parents had cooked, but our kids get to choose as if they had their own personal chef. We rarely make the same meals for all three of our kids. Even when we do, they have tailored requirements. If we do eggs for breakfast, Liam will have scrambled and Chloe will have poached. Ryan can't stand eggs, so he will have something like shreddies or beans on toast. Except it isn't exactly beans on toast, but beans must go on the side of the plate, as he hates soggy toast. My kids also get to choose what they wear, what they want to do at weekends or holidays, even how they organise the balance between free time and homework, as long as it gets done. Dan and I wanted our children to have experience of making their own decisions from a fairly young age, as preparation for making the bigger decisions in life when they're adults. We want them to grow up independent and resilient. But there's a bit of education involved in this kind of parenting. We talk to our kids about the pros and cons of something, tell them what our preferred option is and why, then let them ponder it all. What would you want your kids to do, I regularly ask the oldest to? It's basically a lesson responsibility. Without that, having the freedom to choose will probably be a disaster. When my eldest was in his last year of primary school, one of his newfound friends tried encouraging him to lie to me about being home late. This lad wanted my son to hang out in the park straight after school, adult free. Instead of going off with his friend, my son came home as normal and told me all about it. It was a bit like teaching granny to suck eggs when I used this as an opportunity to talk about why I needed to know where he was, who he was with and what he was doing not to spoil his fun, but to ensure he was safe. But it was also a chance to tell him how doing things behind my back as he gets older is not the right way. There is nothing he needs to hide from me or can't talk to me about. Nine times out of ten, our kids understand where we, as parents, are coming from and agree with us. But there are occasions when they've gone their own way and after giving our opinion, we've let them get on with it. Sometimes we've been pleasantly surprised as they've made it work against our better judgment. Other times, things pan out exactly as we knew they would. Revision methods that didn't work out and unsuitable friendships that have blown apart spring to mind. We just dusted the kids down, helped pick up the pieces and got them ready to go again. Having said all that, there have been times when we've made choices for the kids because we believed it was in their best interests. Getting a private tutor for Ryan, our youngest, is one example. Given the choice, Ryan would rather spend his weekends playing games and building Lego than doing schoolwork. But it has been the right decision for him as his progress has shot up in school and his confidence has grown as a result. As a concept, compulsion is acceptable for children in a way that it isn't for mature adults who can understand the consequences of their actions and take responsibility for them. So I completely understand the widespread resistance to compulsion within the advice profession when it comes to retirement saving. It's a matter of principle for many people. I know all-time enrollment is viewed as a form of compulsion because people need to opt out as opposed to opt in. 
But as successful as autumn enrollment has been in getting people started, the fact that we're still talking about certain groups of people, renters, single parents, the self-employed, not being on track even for a moderate retirement says it all. It's just not enough if the state can't take up the slack. I know that COVID and the high cost of living, including rent increases, has put an unbearable strain on many a household's finances. When money is extremely tight, short-term needs must take precedence. Housing costs, food, children's clothes, utility bills, these expenses all come before retirement saving. The government could not have increased auto-enrollment contribution rates and got away with it, especially after all the political shenanigans we've witnessed in recent years. The problem is, in waiting for the right time for policymakers to make changes that the public will accept, we are setting those who are struggling financially up for more of the same. They will not increase pension contributions voluntarily because today's needs trump those of tomorrow. As much as it pains me to say it, I've started to wonder if proper compulsion, as in having no choice, would be so bad. It's only the realisation that politicians tend to meddle in things they don't really understand and mess things up that pulls me back from that thought. Who wants these people micromanaging their lives? When my late father started work for his last employer, it was a condition of his employment that he joined the firm's final salary scheme. Money was tight at the time. It was the early 80s and dad's wages alone determined our standard of living as mum was looking after me. Given the choice, dad would rather have had a bit extra in his weekly pay packet instead of being a member of the company's pension scheme. But he didn't have that choice and he needed the job, so he signed up. Fast forward to his retirement and he was grateful for the tax-free lump sum and a guaranteed income for life. But paternalistic employers offering final salary schemes are largely a thing of the past now, with individuals taking on more of the responsibility for retirement saving through the move to define contributions pensions. In that context, it seems right that we have freedom and choice to compensate of DB schemes. Compulsion doesn't quite fit the way it used to in my dad's day. So what does that leave us with? It's all very well for people who can't save enough for retirement to resign themselves to working for longer, but depending on the work we do, as we get older, that is not always possible. My granddad was a master cash filter, and once he reached a certain age, his employer would not allow him up on roofs for health and safety reasons, so working past the traditional retirement age was not an option for him. A career change is always possible, of course, but starting from scratch when health problems may start kicking in with a vengeance is not a great situation to be in. While researching an article for Money Marketing about the impact of the trend for long-term renting on retirement prospects, something that Aegon Pensions Director Stephen Cameron said stuck in my mind. He talked about how we've moved from the security of DB pensions and the trend for home ownership towards the uncertainty of DC schemes and renting, given that home ownership has become, become unaffordable for many people. It brought to mind a conversation I'd had with my gran about how her generation had benefited from lots of things, DB pensions, stock market performance and home ownership. It was around the time that Dan and I were house hunting, initially in London. Gran was trying to help by identifying properties she'd seen for sale where she lived, as we planned to stay close to family. But what we were looking for was above our budget there. My grandparents had benefited from Margaret Thatcher's controversial right to buy scheme in buying their council home at a substantial discount. Other relatives and neighbours did the same and subsequently cashed in on rising property values and bought bigger homes outside London. Some people sold flats, 
which the council had deemed hard to let, to buy to let landlords who were building portfolios of homes to fund their retirement. Explaining to Gran how all this had helped to price her grandchildren out of the local market without sounding churlish was difficult, especially as we'd started looking at houses outside London and my cousin was doing the same. As we all know, not replacing the social housing that got sold off was the big mistake. More people on tight budgets have had to rent privately for longer, as it is difficult to save enough for a house deposit, let alone for retirement. But if they don't get on the property ladder at all, or they do it later in life, there's a real possibility of having to pay rent out of retirement income. Gary Hemming, money expert at ABC Finance, told me, issues around a growing number of people renting for the long term will inevitably cause a squeeze on social housing in the future. Rents currently cost an average of 26% of a worker's income, and the average pension income is just 55% of the average salary. This all adds up to an average rent of 47.3% of a pensioner's income, which is completely unaffordable for most. Hemmings says we've never faced this unique mix of more renters and property being more unaffordable. As long-term renters begin to retire, social housing will be needed on a scale that we simply don't have the infrastructure for currently, he says. I hadn't considered the link between home ownership or the lack of it and prospects for retirement until researching this article. It seems to me that if we don't have anything like the social housing we are going to need for those who can't afford to buy a home and save much for retirement because private rents are so high, things that might seem unpalatable may need to be explored. Things like much higher auto-enrollment contributions than we used to, or even proper compulsion. Otherwise, the state will need to plug the gap in retirement savings. And are we all prepared to pay for that? Thanks, Amanda, for another illuminating weekend essay. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Mag. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.